Well, rules is rules. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claibon and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt. Today we look back at the Canadian Grand Prix, part one at least, and we start off not with a driver, not with a team, not with Verstappen winning yet another Grand Prix, but with a topic. This one being, what is an unsafe release? Now Tristan, if I were to try and add a definition to the Oxford Dictionary, for example, I'd try something like this. A team's decision to signal for a driver to rejoin the pit lane in a manner that could likely inhibit another's race temporarily or permanently. That being an unsafe release. How's that? Would you change anything or pretty pitch perfect? That's that's pretty good. Is that written by the FIA or is that is that your own original work? That is for me. By my That's own very hand. good. I like that one. Let's yeah, just just repeat that last bit again. Um, which would likely inhibit another's race temporarily or permanently. See, that's uh, that's a very good definition of what I think we all colloquially accept to be an unsafe release, i.e. Mm. that if someone jumps out ahead of you and you have to hit the brakes and, and stop, and, and therefore, as a result of that, you have had a disadvantage applied to you, which will probably carry throughout the rest of the race. If it's Monaco... Definitely. And actually, that's what makes Monaco particularly fun. Now, of course, this wasn't Monaco. This was Canada. But it wasn't one of those situations where I think we had a number of unsafe releases. That means that this is a topic worth discussing, right? Yeah. Um, Now, Tom, do you think that the unsafe release should be a maybe like a, a, a an interpretation by the FIA and the stewards at the time, i.e. they look at the situation by situation? Or do you think there's some sort of fixed line that we could perhaps um, employ so that maybe a car is coming up the pit lane and there is in the pit box of the car it wants to try and overtake, right? If you if you mm-hmm. the car that um, comes up the pit lane and gets within, let's say, I don't know, 15, 20 centimetres from the rear of the the uh, a pit lane, the car that's in that pit box isn't allowed to release. Mm-hmm. Gee, now that is a difficult one because I think, as with my definition, really, and we saw this weekend, particularly with Alonso versus Hamilton, for example, and I believe uh, McLaren of Lando Norris versus Sonoda, correct me if I'm wrong, we saw two examples where I said in our group chat, well, hang on, that's got to be an unsafe release. There has to be a penalty. The FIA said no. I think you, Tristan, from memory, were equally sort of ambivalent about the need to go and thrash them with a penalty. So I think there needs to be some 
subjectivity to it but I think something where you were talking about there about the fact where if you're so many seconds uh, or indeed part of a second close to another car or centimeters close to another there has to be perhaps some guidelines or some I suppose broad brush uh, vagary in terms of there to make sure that there is some manner in which we can define a release to be safe or unsafe really because I was a bit surprised how that was deemed as a safe release, that being the Hamilton release versus Alonso, because I totally understand the desire to jump somebody else in the pit lane. I mean, that is not a new phenomenon, that is not something I want to stamp out necessarily, but... I don't know if it was Alonso putting his brakes on and like Toto Wolf uh, sort of mimics in the, in the garage. Yeah, mocked him. Mocked him for his <laughs> sort of bizarre or extravagant, should I say, um, driving of the car in terms of his hands on the steering wheel. But I thought that was unsafe. So I suppose to answer your question in short, if another's tyres is damaged, be that from a lockup or something like that, be it a touching of a nose cone to the rear of a car or the proximity or closeness from one to another, that may be the way to take some sub subjectivity away from it and to make it more black and white. But I think there's always going to be some interpretation as part of it. Oh, yes. And I certainly think that Alonso's, Alonso's uh, dramatic and vigorous steering wheel wiggle would um, mm. offer him a chance at, well, an, an Oscar this year with some of the finest acting I've seen and... Uh, it was a little bit over the top, wasn't it? And he, he mm. was a bit of a drama queen um, hitting his brakes. And it was definitely 50-50. But it, I, I think that's what... I was thinking at the time, I was like, oh, this could go either way. Now, I was a bit concerned because throughout the weekend, the stewards at the Canadian Grand Prix were handing out penalties quite... Uh, well, quite readily, let's say. And certainly after qualifying, there were there were a lot of move rounds and you know it, it really impacted people like... Um, Nico Hulkenberg, who lost out on second place because you know, they broke the rules. Um, now, that led me to believe that we were going to see uh, a penalty applied um, to Hamilton. And of course, that never happened. Alonso ended up getting passed. So it didn't really have a long term impact. But I, I apologize for my, my poor description of, of what I'm thinking for like an automated system. But I'm sure there is an automated system that we could employ that would at the very least prevent some of these issues and maybe the more major issues from occurring and basically when when you look at the pit lane every team is given a pit box you're only given one which is why some teams this weekend had to double stack some more successfully than others and that pit box is a clear and defined marking right and and if you imagine looking at the pit lane you, you enter from the left hand side for 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 argument's sake, and you exit on the right-hand side, and it's a nice straight. Well, then you have these segments within that which uh, uh, you would expect people to pit into, these boxes. Now, let's imagine in the case of Alonso and Hamilton, right? They come in together, and they both go into their respective pit boxes. Mm -hmm. Now, Alonso's pit stops quicker, which means he exits his pit box and starts approaching Hamilton's pit box whilst Hamilton's still in it. Yeah. If... Uh, Alonso reaches the, should we say, the, the side of the pit box of another team that's closest to the pit exit, right? Let's say, and so if that makes sense, that, that keeps it yeah. fixed mm -hmm. each time. If he gets within, should we say, a meter of the, of the outer edge, the edge that's closest to the pit exit of your pit box, the car that's in that pit box is unable to be released. So an automatic mm -hmm. red light would go up. Mm -hmm. and then the car will be forced to wait to go through. 
And that, I think, would solve a lot of the issues. Now, you may say, well, that's all well and good when the pit boxes are, are far apart. But what do you do about the pit boxes that are really close together? And actually, what, what I would say is if you are challenging the person next to you in the in the pit lane, then it, it's pretty logical to me that we keep it fixed and it'd be pretty fair. You'd still have to jump them on time. And I'm only saying it's very, I think it would be a very close point. I'm not saying it should be a meter, maybe half a meter, maybe even just 30 centimeters away. But the point is, is currently teams are able to release the cars even when a car is alongside another car. Now, many of them would wait out of respect, but often and sometimes they haven't before. So I think at the very least, we could have some sort of automatic um, point in which the red light will be unable to go on. And uh, the other argument against it is, well, what happens in like a, in a case of, of rain when every car is trying to get past? You know, how on earth do you, uh, would you ever release anyone then? And at the moment, no one can release anyone ever sometimes either. That just happens. It just It's well known that if, yeah. if it's a occasion where everyone runs into the pits at the same time, you get these massive losers and these massive winners. And what I'd say is the teams would have to wait for that moment in which it goes green. And actually, what that would do is it would give you a fail-safe point as well, where if it's green, you know at the very least you had X amount of distance between the car behind you, which which may help a little bit, especially for the drivers that, you know, often they say, oh, I, I didn't know I was supposed to be released. They just told me to go. Well, mm -hmm. you know that if it's green, at the very least, you know there's not a car 30 centimetres behind your pit, your the, the outer edge of your pit lane or some sort of detection zone. Mm -hmm. I think that's very fair, really. And I think it's quite fortunate we haven't seen more crashes or more incidents that actually result in material damage in the pit lane over the last two, three, four, five years, really. It's been down to instinct and driver skill. And you're right there. It gets to a point where, yes, you want to go and make sure that teams aren't losing hand over fist unnecessarily, but then also safety has to become a part of this. Because let's say, for example, that there is a crash in the pit lane. That would result in a red flag of some sort. And then where do the cars go? Because not all of them can go into the pit lane, for example. You're essentially creating a bottleneck and then delaying, cutting back from Grand Prix action to, to a severe point, I'd say, really. So it's definitely one of these ones where the Kenyan Grand Prix raised some eyebrows and raised some issues, really, about these things moving forward. Because dramatic or not, there were some more close incidents than not close incidents, if you will, from driver to driver. And... On this occasion, we were fortunate, but on other occasions, it could result in a, a headache where people go, well, blimey, why didn't the FIA do something about this or have uh, X procedure or protocol to go and deal with Y? So why not nip it in the bud from the early doors, I reckon? Yeah, absolutely. It's pit lanes and, and pit stops, especially nowadays, have had even more of an emphasis applied to them mm. because we don't have the the crazy times of refueling um and, and when pit pit stops used to be quite a common thing throughout the race and used to get quite a quite a multitude of, of strategies if you remember we used to have those like super long runners who would fuel up the car quite heavily and be on quite um hard tires and then those who were going for outright pace by not fueling very much and being on the on the uh well at the time the 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 faster of the two tires because that's mm. how it used to be folks we used to have mm. the the your your normal your prime tire and then like your option tire <laughs> and so mm. uh, which is confusing um and so you used to have this these different strategies and that led to 
well, loads of different problems, actually, including cheating at one point, um, I think by Renault. So n- now we have such an emphasis on that, I don't know, one moment or two moments maybe in a in a race where the teams decide to pit and become vulnerable um, that they, this issue, I think, is going to get more and more exacerbated as we go along because... When it is an only spec, expect to be a one stop pit, um, a one stop race, then teams will basically do anything they can and release at any time. And, and you know, unfortunately, I think also the thing about the pit stop um, problem is, is, unless you actually get hit, I think often the 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 FIA will sort of leave it. And I think that's yeah. a better way around to have it. If you're going to have it a way around, I guess you can be pretty consistent with that. But to be fair, it's not a great system, and every time this happens, I'd sort of wince because, as you say, when when an accident happens in the pit lane, it, it throws up loads of issues, loads of issues, because then you, you're unable to bring the cars in very easily if there's a major problem. Exactly, you can't have the cars return to the scene of the crime, if you will. So it's one of those where we're relying on goodwill and good conscience and good driving ability without having, well, from what we know publicly system in place so it's one of those where it's fine until it doesn't work but dare I say there is going to be one or two occasions particularly in Monaco for example particularly where there's only one stop needed and it's so vital between two cars and two constructors who are doing so well that you're going to go and have a problem which will yeah result in people going why wasn't more done but um it's something we're not having to speak about in terms of a physical crash this weekend so that's a good thing, and some will say being melodramatic, but here we are. I suppose one thing we're going to go on and speak about from this, it's linked to a pit stop, kind of, to an extent. This is Lando Norris getting a five-second penalty for, quote, unsportsmanlike behaviour this Sunday. Now, this saw him fall from P11 to P13, and this is because he was trying to make sure that pit stop that he got and his teammate Oscar Piastri got was helped by the fact the safety car was in action, that the pack behind him in that safety car train was so far back and he created that gap artificially that a double stack could be done successfully. Now, this is pretty unprecedented. It scuppered Lando Norris's chances of a point or points plus. Did the FIA get this one right, do you reckon? Well, it's a pretty... Um, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where this happened quite a lot and uh, many drivers have been at fault for for this sort of behavior and i think it's pretty it'll be pretty clear cut to the fi now they will be they have all the on boards they have the telemetry and they'll be able to see the speeds throughout and whether or not you're keeping consistent pace or whether or not you're lifting and your average speeds and they would have looked at this and seen that it was going to be a double stack they would have seen that norris lifted off and just brought that speed right back and Look, he held up other cars. Tom, you know, if you apply the end of your definition for the unsafe pit hmm. release to this, then I think it becomes quite clear. I mean, it's it has a long and lasting effect on another team. And yes. so, therefore, it's it's worthy of a penalty. I, I, I think they've got to crack down on it because it kind of frustrates me when you watch a team be, saying, you know, in their heads, they're like, right, that's it, we're going to double stack, we'll do the brave thing, we'll double stack. And what we mean by double stacking is when, you know, t- a car goes in and then, its teammate behind is is going to enter the pit lanes as well. So one car leaves as the other one enters. And it's an incredibly interesting orche- orchestration, really, of, of tyre changing. I mean, imagine if your local garage could t- change tyres that quickly. It'd be amazing, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Just, 
Wow. Um, but I I think that if you're going to be brave in double stack and then you realize you've kind of, you know, kind of balls did up a bit because uh, we're a bit too close, then that's it. You should just have to stop. You know, Landon or I should have had to have stopped and waited. <laughs> and that's we've seen Ferrari have to do that before where they've got it wrong. We've seen Mercedes do that before when they when they've got it wrong. It just I think in this occasion they got it right. I think the FIA got it right. McLaren decided to be brave, to be bold. They didn't get the timings right. And so Norris tried to compensate for that. And I just at the expense of everyone else and I just don't think that would was particularly appropriate. Mm. It certainly raised my eyebrow eyebrows plural when it was given out or the definition of said penalty there. I'm conflicted about this because I totally understand the fact that it is, broadly speaking, unsportsmanlike insofar as you're trying to artificially gain an advantage in a environment where the race should be neutralised and there shouldn't be any tactical strategy being deployed. But there we are. But then again, I respect it to a point because it's quite canny and it is strategic and it is, going back to last episode, McLaren utilising advantages and surprises and opportunities when they come about, knowing that when it comes to raw pace, for example, when it comes to the racing environment, they can't necessarily gain an advantage in the most traditional sense. They have to again rely on artificial events within the race, i.e. safety cars, virtual safety cars, or indeed events in qualifying, be it their raw pace there and the window they have. So... I think the penalty that was given to Lando at the time was harsh. I'd have given a financial penalty, however, to McLaren for orchestrating this because I'm not convinced that Lando Norris himself is purely culpable for this. I'd say this is more a team issue. So therefore, I'd say something like a financial penalty and maybe one or two points on the super license for unsportsmanlike behaviour would be better than a five-second penalty. But then again, that may be me being quite dare I say, quote-unquote, soft, because he was so close to the points. And I fancy McLaren getting a few points, really, because it's been such a rough ride for them. But there we are. That's been a rough ride. But I think the nice thing about the five-second penalty, though, is it does wrap up the issue there and then. It gets applied and it doesn't carry over. And do you think it should carry over? Because the the points, for example, on the Super Licence would carry over throughout throughout the season and and beyond. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, but I mean, if they're defining it as unsportsmanlike, then therefore, dare I say, attacking someone's nature and character to a point, aren't they? So how can someone be unsportsmanlike in one race and then be clean-cut gym, whiter than white, the next race? You see what I mean? Like It, it doesn't make sense to me how you can deem someone to be unsportsmanlike in their nature, then, then almost be like, well, they're not actually unsportsmanlike, that was just a crack in their armour, if you will. So it's given to various drivers famously... Uh, I think it's Pierre Gasly got so many last season. There was a question about whether he or other drivers would exceed the limit. Sebastian mm. Vettel as well, rejoining the track uh, spectacularly in that Monza race. There was an issue there about whether he would be banned. Sonoda as well has fallen victim. So, I don't know, it seems a bit of a juxtaposition, a contradiction in one way to give, on the one hand, penalty points to some drivers for unsportsmanlike behaviour. Then on the other hand, go, well, we'll just give you a five-second penalty and then you'll have... Learn your lesson and you'll come back a, a better character next race. See you know what I mean? I get I get your point, but I think I like the fact that it was wrapped up there and then mm. and, and I you know, it was a shame that it meant that Lando lost the points positions and even though he was he was fighting incredibly hard, it you know, he was never going to uh <laughs> he was never going to escape. The fact that he was too close to all the cars around him thanks to well in part by Alex Albon's 
um, ability to hold everyone back and hold everyone up behind. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it doesn't take away from the fact that it was Lando Norris who lifted off and, and pushed everyone back. And he made that decision to do that. And as a result, it, it you know impeded everyone else in the same way that with an unsafe release, you'd often expect to see the, the driver being penalised. Um, I think my issue was, as they called it, unsportsmanlike behaviour. I think I agree with Ted Kravitz. I think at the time he said that it was a bit of a bizarre ruling. And I, I agree. I think they should have been clearer. They should have just said, you know, five second penalty for... I don't know, unnecess- driving unnecessarily slowly in the pit lane. I think that's what has been mm-hmm. previously ruled. I'm not totally sure whether they're coming up by with um, unsportsmanlike behaviour. Like, I, I accept that it is a bit unsportsmanlike, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like whacking into a, another car on purpose or or doing something equally aggressive. I mean, I think mm-hmm. unsportsmanlike is quite a difficult thing to do in Formula One. My, my examples that come to my head is things like Mazepin's excessive weaving on the on the straights, for example, mm-hmm. would be unsportsmanlike behaviour. I believe Max Verstappen in his early days of his career was pretty unsporting in the way he... And actually, even you might even say into the 2021 season when he was overly aggressive and pushing people off the track, right? That's unsportsmanlike, yeah. pushing people off the track. I don't say I don't say this is unsportsmanlike. I would, I would say it's just driving unnecessarily slowly in the pit lane. It falls into the category of of light slaps on the wrist to me, I think. Um, but importantly, I think I mean I just I don't know. Tom, I'm more in favour, I think, of things being sourced out then and there on the track and then moving on from it. It yeah. does mean that if something else happens throughout the year, Lando won't be penalised um, unnecessarily True. now, which will have consequences then. This was just a pretty light touch issue and needed a light touch response. A five second penalty is the is the bare minimum penalty that uh the the stewards can can give in terms of time so yeah it, it was i think that was pretty fitting to me and then going from one driver who had an unlucky some would say unfair but a no points finish to a driver who did this being alex albon at williams qualified p9 up to p7 and this comes after a rather dismal P20 and a P16 for Williams in Spain. You had Logan Sargent as well DNFing once again. They're ninth in the constructors, seven points to their name. And it's quite funny if I read back some of my notes I prepared for last week's episode, we didn't get onto the topic of Williams uh, at all, really, but it's quite damning. But now, dare I say, my notes have changed somewhat to a rather more upbeat setting, really, and that's owing to one driver in particular. How good was Alex Elbon this weekend? Alex Albon was brilliant, wasn't he? Wasn't he brilliant? I think mm. qualifying, he was exceptional. Absolutely. And and Alex Albon deserved to get driver of the day. Sometimes I look at the drivers of the day and I think, ah, I'm not sure I agree with that. <laughs> to, I wholeheartedly, completely and utterly agreed. It was a weekend full of surprises, I think, actually. And, and Williams knocked it out of the park. I really do think they knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Should we start with qualifying? Because I think that was a really interesting situation for Williams. Let's do it, yeah. It was an unpredictable qualifying in terms of the weather. If you didn't catch it, there was a build-up towards rain and it started started raining um, in in a meaningful way in Q2. And there was a, I suppose, a lull in the weather and Alex... 
slash Williams is a bit unclear about where the, who made the final call. But certainly Alex um, said, I think it's time for dry tyres and did it earlier than anyone else. And he was able to, to fit the dry tyres into a, a window of performance that was fleeting. And I think probably two laps because mm. Williams and Alex Albon got two exceptional laps in it in Q2. And I think on the second lap, everyone else went, oh my God, it's fast, quick, go in. <laughs> everyone else went onto the tyres and no one could match the pace. Uh, mm. It was the closest anyone got was, was Verstappen and he was three tenths off, which mm. I think tells you about how fast um, Alex Albon was. He managed to get those tyres hot because bear in mind, Tom, the other thing that, that the teams didn't have going for them this weekend is the cooler tyre blankets that we've got means that the tyres switch off you know, a little bit quicker than they used to. But Alex managed to do a couple of warm-up laps on them, get a flyer lap in, and then get a super flying lap in to get to top the charts at Q2. Wasn't it nice to see them ch- topping the charts in, in, at a qualifying? Just, just seeing them at the top for once. Yeah, it was incredible. It was like when Alonso was in the McLaren and was able to get P1, albeit briefly, and I think... Um, the second round of qualifying at Silverstone, for example. It was harking back to the glory days, which Williams would love to do so dearly. It took me back to sort of 2014, 15, 16, when it was Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas there, where they actually could get up to P2, P3, even challenge Mercedes once or twice for for P1 there. So I think it shows that with Alex Albon, although he's in a, a car which is one of the worst on the grid, I think that's fair to say. He is able to go and bring that car up, kicking and screaming sometimes, utilising the circumstances, the environment, the weather to his advantage at times as well. Couple that with, let's be honest, some good strategic thinking from James Vowles and co. And it shows reasons, really, for Williams to be optimistic. I suppose with many a topic in Formula 1, Isolated incidents are one thing, making it a trend is something else entirely, but at least it shows they've got the tools and they've got a game plan, if you will, to go and make sure that they're able to to utilise what they have. And not only did they do that in qualifying in terms of getting into the final stages of that, being in the top 10, as Haas did, but they went one further as well and got that points finish. And that really is the difference, isn't it? Not to go and single out Nico Hulkenberg again, but to qualify well is one thing, to keep it there in the race is another. So I think Albon's proved why Williams fought so hard to get him out of that Rebel Academy and into the Williams-Mercedes sphere of influence, if you will. And in my mind, I think he's their way out of finishing in P9, P10, and actually getting up and fighting with the Hasses and Co. That may be unfair on Logan Sargent because this is his first season. DNF in this race was last, I believe, in uh, Spain as well. But um, Albon showing why Red Bull showed so much faith in him in seasons prior. But as with Red Bull and his time there, it's time to now kick on and make that consistent. Will be that quite a difficult task to do when you've got, if we're being honest, not a brilliant car. No, absolutely. And what what kind of frustrates me so much is I still think that there's, there should be points for consistency. And looking at the points, it's it's really sad and it, it annoys me to, well, <laughs> so much. It annoys me so much that people like Alpha Tauri are only on two points, Williams only on seven points, Haas eight points, Alpha Romeo nine points, because... I think it should be whether or not, you know there should be a consistency element to it, and I know for example this weekend it wouldn't have really worked out in Williams' favour because as Logan Sargent had to retire, 
But my point is, is okay. Logan might not necessarily set the world on fire just yet when it comes to over, overall performance. That doesn't mean he shouldn't get rewarded for the consistency that is there. And as a result, I think Williams and, and the other teams low down in the divisions could certainly play the consistency card. And you're saying, well, you know, you could be in 11th and 12th the whole season and finish 10th. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. ask you, Tom, would would that make them the worst drivers? Would that make them the worst team? No, I, I don't think it no. would. No, it wouldn't. No, it so wouldn't I'm just going to pre-answer you there. <laughs> I, I just don't think it would. I think that's incredibly unfair. If you finish in 11th and 12th place every race in the season, I would say that you are 50% plus a little bit right from the top team, which means you should be in 6th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. plum last. And uh, that's, that always bugs me. Now, James Vowles was talking about the performance increase. And actually, if you haven't watched his YouTube stuff, I would highly recommend it. Williams have started um, doing the, uh, a Vowles breakdown of the weekend. And he's talking about how Williams, they're expecting the performance to increase just a little bit. And, you know, three, maybe four years until we see them in a properly competitive place. Now, and I, I think... Tom, you talk about green shoots a lot. I think Williams currently yeah. do actually have the green shoots behind them. There's been a lot of changes there. Um, James was very, very, <laughs> very tactful when he said that there were things that when he joined, the Williams weren't doing very well, and some things they were, but some things they weren't. Hmm. And I feel like they are. He, he's brought his, his knowledge from Mercedes and is allowing the team to, to progress forward. I think once and if they get Logan Sargent up to the same sort of position as um, Alex Albon. I think they could be challenging for seventh place. They're only two points behind. And if you think that's you know a little bit out there and, and maybe I'm dreaming too much, it's worth noting that at the moment, Williams has seven points. In the whole of last season, they only ever managed to score eight points. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah. they're in ninth, but they're not in 10th and they're getting more points than they were before. So I think it steps in the right direction. And it was, as I say, the top Q q2 and got into q3 unfortunately due to the rest of the rain um williams wasn't very lucky alex never actually managed to set a proper time which was a bit of a shame but he started p10 and then in the race wow master master defender would you say this weekend yeah, I'd say so. I mean, the fact he was able to hold back a Ferrari for large portions of the race is testament to the driver, more so than the car, I reckon, there, because say what you will about Ferrari, and we may get onto them later in this episode, the the car they have this season is nowhere near as fast as it was last season. And when you're comparing how poorly Williams have done this season compared to how well Ferrari have done at their respective ends of the table, you've got to go and say congratulations to Alex Albon and to the team there, because... Yes, with Canada, there are some areas of it. There's corners and the like, sectors that are dominated by tight corners, slow to medium pace. There's also half the circuit, give or take, which is basically a flat-out straight. So it's not like they could depend on their expertise in one areas or how good they were in one areas and this ultimately paper over the cracks about how poor they were in other areas. I think that this circuit showed that on their day... Alex Elbon and Williams by extension can actually cause 
uh, a few problems for other teams higher up and can ruffle a few feathers. As you say, they're very much in the fight for seventh place at the moment. They're behind Haas and Alfa Romeo, who in, who in my mind have missed many opportunities, who have perhaps had their peak weekends when it comes to performances. And if Williams are able to kick on here and utilise this uh, moving forwards, I don't see any, re any reason why your prediction of seventh place for Williams in the championship can't become closer to a reality, really. So, as I say, Albon doing a fantastic job there. There's no doubt the pressure would have been on him personally in terms of not only from Williams, in terms of, well, we really do need to get these points, not overtly perhaps, but subconsciously thinking this is a great chance we can't afford to miss this. But Albon himself must have been feeling some pressure, rarely gets the chances to be in such a position. I think it's fair to say the environment and the weather helped him get up to where he was, as you said earlier, Tristan, so eloquently. So it was a chance he had to execute. And as we say you're not able to go and get points on consistency. It's about picking off those opportunities and really, uh, I suppose, twisting the knife into your opponents. He's done that again. Got a record of doing that, it's fair to say, with this Williams car. Whisper it quietly, but maybe even an eighth place could be something they move into relatively shortly. What do you think? I do think. And let's just take a moment as well to to, to reflect on, on Williams' success this weekend. I want to apply just a small correction to... Um, what I said about where they started. Alex Albon qualified in 10th, but because Ferrari being Ferrari um, and Carlos Sainz being unable to keep his position, he got a penalty. So um, he, he uh, Carlos Sainz moved backwards to 11th and everyone slotted up place. So Alex Albon started in 9th position and ended in 7th. When was the last time we were we were able to say that Williams started in the points and moved up the points? And just oh, yeah. just to sandwich him for a moment, let's check out where he was sandwiched between. Sergio Perez in sixth and Esteban Ocon in eighth. A Williams, mm -hmm. a Williams behind the the Red Bull and in front of the Alpine. That's yeah. that's crazy. That's not mm -hmm. that's not what we expect. And actually, Alex was fantastic. He just knew where to position the car. They managed to get the strategy just right. And that's James Vowles' his influence to the team. But also, for for a person that everyone we everyone was writing off in Red Bull, it's nice to see Alex Album pushing forward and continuing to make great strides. And and yes, okay, he, he got six points. And that that's, well, that's <laughs> 90... 98% of all the points that, that um, Williams has had this year. There's six out of their current seven points. But another another performance like that, what, and, and they were, well, they would be easily having enough to, to overtake for, so should we say, eighth place? I mean, I expect, I do expect has to collect more points as we go forward, but they could they could certainly jump their rivals and certainly end up in eighth place. Oh, definitely. Unfortunately, between 2018 and 2022, they've largely been at the foot of the table, haven't they, really? Doing some research, they've only finished, sorry, they've finished last in all but one Constructors' Championship between that time. So what's that? Four years of 10th and then occasional upward trajectory of that I think yeah there really does need to be some more money put in I think from Derilton Capital to a point better recruitment to build on the acquisition of James Vowles and also uh, Alex Albon as well but as I say about other teams green shoots for sure and looking forward to somewhere like Silverstone for example particularly but to a lesser point 
uh, Austria as well. These are circuits that aren't a million miles away from Montreal and the Canadian Grand Prix. So if the situation is correct and they can get themselves into an opportunity where they can execute, uh, execute points and execute an opportunity, who's to say they can do something like this again in those two races, or at least one of them, or indeed in races moving forward? So... I was so ready last weekend to go and really twist the knife into Williams and go, what on earth are they doing? They're showing no ambition. They're going absolutely nowhere. But here they are, showing a chance, showing an opportunity to, to prove me wrong. And I hope they, they do that moving forward, for sure. And last but not least, on a similar positive note, although a different topic, a different theme about it, Ferrari. Ferrari played a strategic blinder. Do not adjust your headsets, your earphones, anything at all, you heard me correctly, Ferrari played a strategic blinder, not too sure if it is intentional or not, and while most pitted under the safety car, the drivers of Leclerc and Carlos Sainz didn't do that, they finished in P4 and P5 because of the safety car and the other people pitting, they chose not to do so, they decided only to pit once in this Grand Prix while others pitted too, the graining was so poor that others were perhaps forced into doing so, well, Ferrari decided not to do so. It's a gamble. It's one that paid off in a rather spectacular fashion. Our thoughts on this? Could this be something to show that Ferrari are actually listening and learning from their mistakes? Oh, this is the great debate now, isn't it, Tom? Was mm. it blind luck or or a strategic genius from those on the wall? Um, and how we laughed as well. How I laughed on lap six. <laughs> oh, look at Ferrari not... <laughs> silly silly oh silly old ferrari here we go again here we go um oh i will never know i know i'm half expecting right there to, to to actually it emerge that the reason they didn't they didn't pit was because all the ferrari strategists were too busy you know doing something else looking the wrong way and oops oh no it's gone <laughs> past us oh well i guess we'll uh i guess we won't pit them it was an odd one wasn't it because Logan Sargent had um well got to lap six and then and then car had to be retired. And that was very early into the race. Very, very early indeed. And, and far too early out of the 70 laps, um really to 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 pit for the one stop strategy. The team all the teams that, apart from them really came in and, and decided to pit. Um, now, for teams like Red Bull, it's a clear and obvious decision because they had the outright pace. They knew they could basically just make it up again. Um, for Ferrari, I think they were in an odd position because they were so far back from everyone else and, and where they wanted to be, having, as we explored earlier, people like Carlos Sainz having to start in 11th place because of penalties. I, I, th I have a funny feeling they looked at themselves and thought, look, we're either going to finish 10th and 11th and get one car in the points here or we're going to pit we're not going to pit now take the gamble that someone else is going to crash later on be in an advantage and get both cars into the points now mm. i think they that's the strategy they played i think what ended up happening was a bit of surprise to even ferrari as you say yeah. tom the the tires wouldn't last as long as they wanted to everyone else pitted basically to the hards and said right now it's only what, 65 laps. Off we go. Hope the hards last. You know, that's that was their strategy. Mm. Everyone else's mm. strategy. They've done their pit, a cheap pit stop because of, of the safety car. And unfortunately, it wasn't going to work out like that. The graining was too high. Everyone was going through their tyres too, too quickly. 
and even though when when you look at it other other um other other cars behind him so for example Esteban Alcon, Lance Stroll you know those sort of drivers um and Sergio Perez as well um even though they're on the newer tires they they couldn't really get the performance increase that they were expecting on the new tires for long enough to re-jump the 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 drivers of of the Ferraris and so everyone else had to pit again and as soon as that mm-hmm. happened then Ferrari completed the the race with one pit stop less and that was it it was a it was one of those moments of of magic and i just can't believe can't believe i'm going to say this tom but but best strategic decision of the race goes to ferrari i know i know and i don't think i'll ever tire of hearing or saying that really because maybe it does show that after so many years a decade plus of not winning anything they go oh hang on that Maybe we should do things differently. But it was. It was genius. I think that if I were to surmise that they stumbled into genius. They stumbled into (laughs) a fantastic finish. But a fantastic finish it was nonetheless. I could see the merits of it to a point. One driver not pitting and getting themselves bumped up from, let's say, I don't know, P8 to P4, P10 to P5, as was. But I thought, like any other team, they'd split it, follow the pack in one direction, but then have a gamble or an experiment really with the other because let's be fair, it was a poor qualifying once again owing to one reason or another. They weren't expecting too much but the gamble paid off really but it remains to be seen whether it was a fluke or, or not a fluke really. Of course, if I were to go and speak to Fred Vasseur, he'd say, oh, of course, oh, we knew exactly what we were doing. This is the new Ferrari way. Um, but I think in reality it was something a bit more of stumbling into success as I say so well done to them I think they've done a very good job there in securing some points and executing an exa- uh, executing an opportunity there sorry but I'm not too sure it was strategic I think it was more a hope and a hope that worked very well because correct me if I'm wrong but I can't remember Canada being a circuit where a degradation graining for example has historically been bad regardless of the many tight corners in the first sort of one or two sectors it's not one where i immediately think blimey two-stop race so for that reason i don't think they were perhaps thinking well you know everyone will have to bit twice and will be really clever but they've profiteered haven't they what, what do you think well i mean if you look at the pre- previous um canadian grand prix then you'll see that actually Canada tends to be relatively light on wear and you can definitely get away with only a one-stop race. And that's what everyone was expecting to do this weekend. Unfortunately, I think it was just a bit too far back. And the the, um, the timings weren't great, because I say it was very early in the race. And it was also a very green track as well. The heavy rain meant that, that all the rubber had been removed last from the, the race before and all the... Um, well, it was it was a very odd situation where you just had this, as a result, high grain, uh, high graining and, and quick destruction of the tyres. Do you think, though, mm-hmm. that actually Ferrari bumbling into this moment of magic <laughs> could be a symptom of their old ways and mm-hmm. not necessarily of a, of a new and revitalised, rejuvenised, strategic uh, team within Ferrari? And the reason I suggest this is because Ferrari have played this before and they've they've decided that they want to risk it for another pit stop before and it hasn't worked out. And actually, yeah. 
and and this is just one thought I had by not following the the trends of the successful teams in terms of strategic direction like Mercedes like Red Bulls those teams that would say probably have their head screwed on the right way when it comes to strategy by uh-huh. not following them doesn't it show that they're actually not necessarily thinking in a way that the top team the teams that we rely on for good strategy are thinking it's a great point one I hadn't really thought about but if you think historically not even too far back last season so many times the the wrong tires are put on the hards instead of the mediums the softs instead of the hards all that sort of stuff so maybe the old ferrari doctrine of inaction or letting events play out they're ultimately trying to pick up a semblance of a victory or success and that's as you can is perhaps coming to bear because as we say there was little to no evidence to suggest that canada would be a two-stop circuit and actually they were you could clearly see from the paddock hoping praying for a safety car because when there was one or two incidents of where that could happen for example they would pan they being skyware watch this grand prix they would pan to people those mechanics the engineers and those in the ferrari paddock desperately holding the tires getting ready for the pit stops hoping this would be the opportunity to execute that double stop and we're talking here sort of 10 laps after this incident with Logan Sargent happened not too long, which would make you think that if that were to have happened, if events were to play that differently, they too would have been a victim to having to go to a two-stop strategy because of the graining. So I'm inclined to believe that probably yes, you're right there, Tristan. But as with many things in terms of Formula One, we'll wait to see whether this miracle is a trend or whether this is just a happy anomaly really for Ferrari and whether the old mistakes and the old ways of laissez-faire, if you will, carry on to there. And on that existential question, that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 18 of F1 In Review 2023. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or indeed elsewhere. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and on TikTok, our handle being F1 In Review, where we post the entire episodes that on Twitter, that is, and short segments of episodes gone by of the most contentious and talkable topics of races and indeed episodes gone by. And so if you're interested in what we thought about prior Grand Prix and the segments between them, do go back and listen indeed view what we put up there. We'll be back next week as always. Angus will be returning to look forward to the Austrian Grand Prix and to talk about the remaining topics in the Canadian Grand Prix and any news that's come up in the meantime. So thank you very much for listening and as I say, we'll be back next week. Thank you.